I'm Alex and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 11. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath, Chris and Dom. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello there. Hello. What's everyone been up to? How's everyone doing? I've been to Druridge Bay for the first time ever. Oh, Chris, first time that's ever. Terrible. I know. I had ten years, ten years in the northeast, and I haven't visited oh. Druridge Bay. I've done pretty much every other beach and bay of the Northumberland coast, apart from Druridge mm. Bay. We went on uh, on that bank holiday weekend, uh, and it was mm. just glorious. It was absolutely beautiful. You know, busy, but not in a way that you were kind of bumping into people. And it was, it was lovely. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why we haven't ever taken the time to go there, but I, I could possibly mm. tell you. Mm. If you if you didn't mind a little story, oh go on, <laughs> always. <laughs> it, it used to be a training a training drop for the RAF in World War Two, and yeah. uh, there was quite a lot of ordnance left on the beach. Mm. And and the way that we discovered this was my father was a great one for wild camping, and we were we were camping in the dunes of Dirge Bay and uh, some member of the uh, armed forces came up and asked us to move and said it's a little bit dangerous to be <laughs> careful so, where you put the tent pegs <laughs> so um, my my mother who wasn't a huge fan of wild camping made her her feelings well and truly you know <laughs> and we slept in the car all night and then went home <laughs> class circa 1962 yeah oh wow yeah <laughs> Well, to assume it's all gone by now. Talking about <laughs> camping, we, we should be uh, getting our last camping trip of the year in, I think, Ooh. up at Kielder. Yeah, just yes. just one night up in Kielder. Um, so that'll be nice to sort of get away one last time before uh, it probably gets a bit too cold. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me and go, no, it's fine to camp all year round, but uh, I'm a fair weather <laughs> I'm a fair weather camper, even when oh, I'm right. in the van. So, uh, yeah, it'd be nice so- to get away. Have you ever been to Kielder when the sky's been clear at night? Have you been able to kind of see all the stars? Because it's a, it's a dark, mm. dark skies park. Isn't it's it? a dark sky. Yeah, we went up, I mean, years ago, probably about 2011, I think it was. Um, when I talked to Mark, you know, um, one of the very first episodes mm. that we did. Um, and we, we hired Gracie and we went up to Kielder and we had a, uh, an event at the observatory. So that was great. I remember we got there and as you say, it was pitch black, mm. but it was completely clouded over. And the guy sort of running the session was like, I'm really sorry. It's just going to be too cloudy to see anything. So we kind of got the PowerPoint out and we were like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was it was as if, I don't know, it was as if the sky knew because as soon as the PowerPoint was finished, and it was very interesting PowerPoint, um, <laughs> sure. we, we kind of went out and the, the clouds just disappeared. And it was just a completely clear sky. And I think we saw the Andromeda galaxy. Um, I think we saw Venus. Um, but even, I mean, I know, Dom, you're a big fan of the moon. Even just looking through the mo- through a telescope at the moon, it was just mm-hmm. incredible. It was just mm. amazing. Um, yeah. Takes your breath so in, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it was just great. So we're not going to the observatory this time, but yeah, mm. hopefully we'll, we'll get a clear sky and we can have a little, have a little looky, see what we can see. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Brilliant. So, shall we uh, crack on with this week's guest interview? Yeah, it's a good one, this one. Yeah, it's it's me again this week. Um, I had a great time talking to Annie Rigby, who is a theatre director. She grew up here 
and is founding director of Unfolding Theatre, which is based in Newcastle, which delivers creative projects and performances, which focus on bringing people together, which I think we can all appreciate has been a real challenge for obvious reasons over the last few months. Um, she kind of spends a bit of time reflecting on, you know, the, the last few months, um, talks about her love of darts and cooking and her children. So here is Annie talking about what happiness means to her. So Annie, a very warm welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, I just thought we could start off for those people who don't know who you are. Could you perhaps just introduce yourself for me? Yeah, so uh, I'm a theatre director. I run a company called Unfolding Theatre, based in Newcastle. Uh, I'm working across the North East and, and further afield as well. Um, what el- else is there to say? I'm a, I'm a darts <laughs> fan. I like uh, cooking. I have two kids. Um, I grew up here, yeah, uh, and I'm ginger. I know this is a podcast, so, you know, imagine Ginger if you've not met me before. <laughs> well, I have two redheads myself, two redhead children, keeping the gene alive. You, know, you have the, the Yeah, you have gloriously <laughs> Ginger children. Neither of my uh, children are, are Ginger. Um, my husband isn't Ginger. And uh, I, you know, I, ha- I have hope for grandchildren who are Ginger. <laughs> yeah I think we've got it on both sides of the family so I think it was kind of inevitable for us but you know I, I I remember when they were very very young and actually still now every now and then I would get stopped in the street by people sort of saying oh my god your children's hair is amazing you know don't ever let them dye it all of this sort of stuff and absolutely it, it and was just it, a very strange thing <laughs> yeah and I stopped a, a little girl uh, the granddaughter of a, a woman who lives across the road to congratulate her on her she had gorgeous long curly ginger hair because it is one of those things that you get bullied for you know I got bullied for it throughout school but at the, I, ne- I never felt I always felt like it was something really special actually so even though I did get teased and bullied it never really bothered me because I knew it was I, I just felt really lucky actually so yeah all power to your kids. <laughs> Absolutely. So thinking about happiness then, when, mm. you know, you say you were sort of bullied a little bit for your red hair, you know, did that did that affect your happiness levels as a child? Did it did it make Ooh. you sad? Or can you not remember? I can, well, I can remember. I, I mean, I think growing up's quite tough, actually. I'm not one of those people who, who hankers after returning to my school days. I mean, I had some fantastic times growing up and I had some fantastic friends and and some really good times along the way, but also some really difficult stuff. And I definitely think I am happier now probably than I've ever been. And Mm. those things about, you know, the older you get, the more you know yourself, the older you get, the less you care about what other people think about (laughs) you. Or certainly that's how it's been for me. Um, And I was always a bit different at school. I was a hippie. Uh, I was ginger, as previously mentioned. Um, I played the accordion. I mean... You know, imagine that in a kind of out, outside of Gateshead, you know, fairly fairly rough school. Uh, there, there, there weren't any other accordionists uh, <laughs> in the school community. Um, so, yeah, I always uh, I always stuck out a bit. Um, but, you know, having said that, I made some amazing friends through being a bit different. And I had a band that I was in when I was a teenager um, and had a lot of really fun times, particularly through music. Um but yeah, I definitely think I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. Why do you think that is? 
I think it's a combination of things. I think, um, uh, I think, yeah, I think I've done a lot of the things that I really wanted to do. So I set up my own company just over 10 years ago and that's been a massive learning curve. And of course it comes, as you will know, Alex, with a lot of challenges, Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, it gives you an enormous freedom and it gives you a chance to work with people who really excite you um, and, and have a lot of autonomy, have a lot of control over uh, the way you choose your life to look, you know, um, I think that's, you know, I might not be earning as much as somebody who works for a big corporation or in a, in a different sector, but I actually think you don't realize how precious freedom is, you know, and, and, um, and your ability to, to take control over, over your, your day to day. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, I've got two kids. I think that's really, um, although on a kind of micro level, it doesn't always make me happy in every moment of every day. Um, I, uh, it took me quite a long time to get pregnant the first time round, so I think I've always felt like it's it's a blessing. You know, uh, I say that although I'm not religious, but I do really feel very lucky, and I feel like I spent enough time uh, with the possibility that it might not happen to mm. to really feel like I'm so pleased it did you know uh so yeah that makes me very happy um I've got really nice neighbors you know and I think (laughs) I'm gonna uh, start sounding like the the theme tune to that Australian soap that we all remember (laughs) but um yeah actually I think something again it goes back to day to day you know having neighbors who you can have a real laugh with and now on one side uh we've got uh, a couple who've got two little boys similar age to my kids and there's a gap in the fence and you know in lockdown we became a bit of a bubble because actually that's the way we live you know the kids just do go between the both houses and I think there's something really special about that actually I think um I think just being around people who you can be relaxed around is is something really special so yeah I think I'm aware of how lucky I am actually and that my life is not not a bad gig (laughs) (laughs) pretty content with life at the minute then despite you know I mean we can't really you know not talk about you know what's been going on the last few months but uh, you're you're fairly you'd say you're fairly content with with life at the moment I would well it's a mixture isn't it and Mm. I think um I think we're, we're in the middle of it and it's hard to really process a lot of um, how how we're feeling on a bigger scale. I mean, my life has changed radically because I make theatre. Yeah. <laughs> and theatre is all about, my entire work is all about bringing people together in a room uh, or in a, in a shared space. And that's been completely impossible. And so that, that's been a real challenge because I really, that's what I really get my energy from and my happiness from is being with other people and 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 creating experiences for for audiences and seeing how they react and 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 the joy of that but also working in theatre is a very social um sector to work in you know it's all about creating entertainment for people and nights out for people and actually a huge amount of my social life would be going to theatre so it's really strange to me that I've not been to see a piece of theatre since the middle of March because I normally go like once or twice a week um, or, or to a gig or, you know, or to some kind of live event. Um, and I have to say there was a little bit of time where I kind of, <laughs> even though I maybe missed some of the particular shows I was really looking forward to seeing, 
my life is always a rush and actually I did quite enjoy going do you know what I'm not rushing to put the kids to bed so I can dash back out on the bus and I can get there just in time or I'm gonna if I walk really fast I can get you know um my life usually is a lot of rushing 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 and of, of course it has been very different in lockdown and I enjoyed that for a little while but I have to say I am really missing it now yeah really really missing it I've had that similar conversation with a few other people about you know where did we find the time (laughs) to do everything that we were doing before as you were saying you know rushing Mm. from one thing to another whether it was doing the school run Mm. you know after school activities for the kids activities for myself house stuff yeah yeah where how did we manage to do all of that yeah Um, and I I think it's a really interesting time as as we're emerging out of lockdown and and you know touch wood it'll it'll continue in this direction um although obviously there's lots of pessimism or or worries that it might not um but i think um i think a lot of people are going to find themselves i think a lot of people already are finding themselves thinking about what kind of life do i want to live and mm. i think i've seen some statistics and you know who knows how they how they surveyed this but saying that 13% of people wanted to go back to exactly how life looked before lockdown and Just I think 13. I definitely, yeah, I definitely um, wouldn't want to go back to exactly how it has been. I definitely think I'd got caught in the treadmill of <laughs> cramming too much in. And yeah. and and I do think I'll, I mean, I will be so happy when the kids go back to school uh, and there is a little bit more space in my life again. But I think I will look back and I will never regret having had this really intensive period of time with them because they're they're little you know they're five and six and you know I won't get that time again you know and I think so many you hear so many parents of older children saying oh where did the time go and when you're in the middle of raising young children you kind of think this is relentless this is just um endless but I'm, I've no doubt it will feel like it zips by in a flash and I'm really yeah you know, while I never would have chosen to do this, I would have never chosen to take my kids out of school. You know, people do make those choices in their life and I probably never would have. Um, and I do feel strangely grateful for for some elements <laughs> of what the last, uh, however many months it, it has been, has been. I can't believe I've got a 11-year-old about to go to high school. It's just, as you were saying there, you know, where mm. <laughs> where's the time gone? And wow. uh, yeah. We've we've had kind of yeah good days bad days mm. homeschooling Joe mm. Wicks juggling oh, yeah. <laughs> you know part time work freelance stuff yeah it's been uh, it's been an adventure <laughs> yeah and it's really made me think lockdown has really made me think that there is something that's always true but it's made lockdowns kind of shone a light on it that people's experiences are really different. And so what your life looks like is not what other people's lives look like. So like you, I've been struggling to balance homeschooling and looking after the kids and working. You know, me and my husband have been yeah trying to cram our work around all of that. Um, I don't feel like I've been alone for a second. You know, I've um, been absolutely desperate to have some time on my own. Um, while, you know, I've spoken to other people who've been, who live on their own, who felt incredibly lonely, incredibly isolated some people who've been furloughed who which to me seems like oh maybe that's really idyllic because you know you you've suddenly got this time and you've not got this pressure but actually they felt incredibly destabilized by that incredibly anxious understandably about whether they've got a job to go back to and and you know it's really it's really made me think you you can never assume that what your experience of 
something is 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 like any you know is like anybody else's people have, have had very different journeys through, through through this time yeah i've spoken to a couple of people as you say there who've been furloughed who actually mm found it really difficult because their work made them so happy um you know that's something that they can't you know they enjoyed going to work Mm. they love their job um and you you clearly love your job in 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 theatre what yeah what what is it about theatre then that that brings you that happiness I think one of the things that is very very magical about theatre um and it's true of other professions as well but to make theatre you need really different people to come together so you need actors performers you know of course that in itself holds a a huge breadth of different types of personalities but then you also need technicians you also need set builders um you need uh all kinds of administrators and people with marketing skills uh front of house staff you know people who might be doing that job on the side of whatever it is they learning about or wanting to be or people who just really love uh looking after people and hosting um and so there's i I, this i think there's something really special about working with people who are not all like you and don't Mm -hmm. all share the same ways of communicating or the same uh ways of being um i really really love and and i and i think being a theater director is a particularly interesting positioning that because you sit between it so you work very very closely with the actors but you're not an actor or I'm not an actor um and actually once the show's made it's kind of I'm stepping away then it's it's they are a gang and I've helped forge that gang and forge the experience that they deliver but I'm not in it in the moment of delivering it I'm really with the technicians then and I think that relationship with the technicians and the production staff is something that I've always loved about theatre and it maybe comes from I'm not I'm not an enormously practical person so I think <laughs> um, being around people who can really quickly make something out of wood or you know construct something or hold something so it's really secure or make something technical com- and that's complicated work suddenly I find that really amazing and I find there's a kind of down-to-earthness about a lot of technicians and production staff that I really enjoy and I, you have a great laugh you know like you get a lot of running jokes people always say technicians really know they're the ones who really know whether the show's any good or <laughs> why it works or why it doesn't work you know and so I really treasure that um and then I really really treasure welcoming audiences in and creating experiences for people you never know quite why somebody will respond to work you've made or not you know you can't hope to please everybody all of the time but those moments when you've really touched somebody or somebody's had a really you know it happens that people have really profound experiences um you know I've had somebody come and say to me you know I've I've decided to to have a total career change after watching this show and you know it's (laughs) just made me put everything into perspective I've had people you know feel incredibly personally moved the last show that we made was a lot about in memory and the inheritance of your family memory and then what you're passing on so people f- often felt that very profoundly I, I enjoyed actually talking about people on, from, on the production team I had a brilliant um curry out after we were working on the show we hadn't quite finished it but we'd nearly finished it and two of the the lighting designer and the set designer were having an argument about who the show oh no it was the stage manager that's right the stage manager and the lighting designer were having an argument about who the show was really about 
and the lighting designer saying, oh, it's really about me because of this, because this is my family situation and da da da. And the stage manager was saying, no, 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 it's really about me because da da da. But I think it was a show that allowed you to lay your own relationship with your own inherited memories, your own memories that you were passing on or not. You know, you could find your place within it. Um, um, and I think that's something really special when, and, and that's why I called my company Unfolding Theatre, because I think theatre unfolds if it's if it's right. You don't know what the audience is going to bring. You don't know what's in each individual's memory or lived experience or just the day that they've had leading up to them coming to see your show. And then it will land or not land for all sets of reasons. And, and then it doesn't stop unfolding then. You know, people will take it away, particularly if it's a show that's really... Uh, landed with them you know they might still be thinking about it in months it might suddenly connect in an experience that they have in a year's time in a few years time and that is something that I really love like the mystery of it and and you know just being being a small little spark or a small little seed within somebody's imagination I think is is something I, I think I you know I just find endlessly fascinating and I've had beautiful emails from we made a show a few years ago called Putting the Band Back Together, which was all about, you know, dusting off your old instruments, people who'd given up playing and might be finding their way back to it later in life or after after a gap or finding the confidence somehow when they'd lost it. And and the show invited anybody who wanted could be in the show's house band. So you basically turned up to a rehearsal about an hour or so before the show, learnt four songs and then about halfway through the show, uh, Ross Millard from the Future Heads, who was in that show, would say would would now like to welcome to the stage tonight's house band and whoever in the audience had come along to the rehearsal would stand up and come on stage and then play nice. with us for the rest of the rest of the show it was beautiful but I used to get emails from people who'd played in the house bands so some of them I'd, I would have spent four hours with them maybe in my you know from that re- first moment of rehearsal through to the end of the show really short time that I would have uh and met them and then I'd receive these emails months or even years later saying do you know what tonight I sang at the buskers night I've been going to for years and I never would have done it if I hadn't joined the house band or tonight I played drums uh with my old band from when I was a teenager at my 60th birthday party and no one could believe it and I I would have never done it if I hadn't come to see the show and that is just unbelievably special you know that makes me so happy so you've You've touched on a couple of moments there. Have there been any kind of standout happy moments, you know, that really kind of stick in your head with the, with the theatre? I remember, um, I I always remember the very first show that we made um, and, the, and the moment of opening that show. So the show was called Building Palaces and it was all about the idea of building your own palace and the idea that everybody's palace would be very different. And it was inspired by a brilliant musician called Brendan Murphy, who's a percussionist. And he inherited a, an enormous collection of percussion about about 15 years ago now uh, from another great percussionist called Bruce Arthur. And suddenly Brendan had this enormous collection and he has he's a beautiful man as well as being a beautiful musician. He's got a really wonderful humanity, actually, in a way of being in the world. And he has a real sense that he's kind of the custodian of this collection of of instruments and it's really important that whatever he does other people get the chance to enjoy listening to them and enjoy playing them um and so he eventually with a you know a bit of help at, the, at that time from Newcastle Council and and you know various 
connections after a while he managed to get hold of an industrial unit at a price he could afford which is not much when you're a you know a musician uh, or a kind of world percussionist sadly don't get the big bucks all the time um <laughs> but he managed to get the studio going and, and a place for his 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 percussion instruments and he called it the Rumba Palace and I just thought that was so beautiful that and I said to him once oh Brendan one day I'm going to build build you a real palace and then I realised he already had a real palace. This was his real palace. It just wasn't my palace. My palace wouldn't be built out of percussion instruments. So the show was all about um, different versions of what palaces could be. And Becky Owen, the singer, was in it. And uh, there were performers, Alex Elliott, Jane Armfield, Paddy O'Connor, all created different palaces that the audience journeyed through. Anyway, and it was in the boiler shop, um, which at that time wasn't really open to the... It, it had been open to the public as a, as a kind of very, very... Um, a lesser known museum site kind of thing you know it, it hadn't been very much opened up and it was starting to be on you know starting to be explored how it could be um, mm. opened up in other ways and we were given the keys for six weeks it was incredible because it was in this kind of transition time where they were trying to work out what the building could be and this was kind of an experiment so it was this incredible gift of of this space but anyway we worked and I'd worked so hard to raise the money I'd set up the company it was you know this terrifying journey will anyone come all of that kind of stuff will the show be any good and then I remember um so in this big old Victorian warehouse we're all ready to go and Paul Aziz the stage manager on that show and again it's that thing about relationships with production staff it came to the moment where it was time to open the doors for the first performance and Paul came up to me uh and there was no reason for him to do this but he said um do you want to open the doors for your first show? And I was like, oh, wow, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, actually. And I remember <laughs> opening the doors and not knowing whether there'd be, like, nobody outside or what, what well, I would it's see. It's a bit like holding it. your own birthday party, isn't exactly, it? And will anyone exactly. come? <laughs> yeah, so I opened this big warehouse door and there was this big queue of people down the street and it was just <sighs> kind of magical. And then we were away and, you know, and it went so... I always think that was such a small moment, um, but it was really meaningful for me. Um, yeah. And then there's been loads of adventures along the way, you know, loads of hilarious van journeys and ridiculous happenings and things going wrong. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah, uh, lots and lots of happy memories. So Unfolding Theatre, it's been based down in the Ooseburn, hasn't it, for, for a while? And, you know, mm. our... Our paths have crossed in numerous yeah. different ways over the years. And you're now based in the building where Curiosity Creative's very first office was in Arch of 6. Course. We are, so, we are. Occasionally Post turns up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Still. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I love the Ooseburn. You've obviously been based there for a while. Is that, is that a, a special place for you in Newcastle for the theatre? Yeah, yeah. I really like being based in, in the Ooseburn. I mean, there's so many great people doing great things, you know, whether that's the team at the Cumberland Arms, whether it's the artists in Lime Street Studios, you know, um, uh, and all kinds of new things popping up. I went, I mean, shamefully, it's taken me this long to get there, but um, I went to Cookhouse, uh, which is absolutely gorgeous, really beautiful mm. place to eat. Um, so, you know, the seven stories, I sit on the board of seven stories, which is, you know, which I applied to be a trustee after um, the company moved to Usburn, uh just because it felt like a really nice way to connect to, you know, one of the really important cultural organisations in that area. Um, so there's lots of great and unusual and surprising things happening there. Um, 
and also we're there because of generosity really and um, we're um so arch six is is the office space of excite architecture um and excite uh and particularly tim bailey uh the founding partner of excite has always been a big supporter of ours and is on our board of trustees now as well um but i remember we were we'd had various office setups in in uh kind of artist community kind of working hubs which are kind of great but also i was spending crazy amounts of time working out that everybody owed £2.68 towards the phone bill and then having to collect it and, the, you know, just <laughs> endless protracted committee arguments about this or that. Um, so, and I remember Tim suddenly getting in touch because he'd always had an artist in residence in, in their space and, and Alex Charrington, who was the artist who'd been there before us, was moving out. Um, and so he was saying, would Unfolding Theatre like to move in? And I absolutely bit his arm off because... Um, <laughs> It you know just suddenly felt like an opportunity to be in a more professional space, but also a space that was still creative, that was surrounded by architects, and it's a different, um, you know, it, it, the world divides itself up in funny ways. You know, the art sector sometimes sits quite differently to the architecture sector. You know, um, but it's all about creativity and 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 working out how to build things and make things happen. And um, and he does charge us a, a very small rent, uh, but it's a you know, and then he gifts some of it back to us in, in or Excite gifts some of it back to us as a donation every month. And it's a really beautiful generosity and I really love being there. Um, uh, and I feel very lucky to be there. Um, and you know, Tim's spoken very beautifully about saying that he gets lots from us being there and and what we bring into the into the office world. But I always uh, I always feel like we're the we're the big winners really. <laughs> I, I loved being in the Oosburn and if mm. I could be back there I would in a in a in a heartbeat. You know, I feel like the perpetual student as far as a uh, business premises at the minute. But uh, oh. yeah, I used to I I loved being in the Oosburn. It was such a fabulous yeah. place. But it's very strange at the moment that, you know, I set up Unfolding Theatre and it was based in my bedroom and now I'm back in a situation where it's based in my bedroom again. So it's kind of a funny time, a funny time. Full circle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll be back in the office soon. (laughs) So at the very top of your interview, uh, when you introduced yourself, um, you said that you were a director of Unfolding Theatre and that you liked darts. Mm. I loved that that came after... (laughs) before your children even (laughs) I always think what are the kind of interesting things you know there's things interesting things to know about me um I am a big darts fan I mean I'm a big sports fan really um uh in a lot of ways but darts really really um speaks to me uh and I made a show about darts called best in the world um which was I all about expect anything less. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which was all about, um, you know, what does it mean to be best in the world? I think the thing I love about darts is it's such a coming together of the ordinary and the extraordinary. So you look at the world champions of darts, and they really are ordinary people. Um, they, do, you know, you could be sitting next to them on the bus. You know, they. they it's not like sitting, ne- you know, looking at Usain Bolt, and you you couldn't sit next to Usain Bolt on the bus and not realize you were sitting next to somebody extraordinarily athletic you know it's and also you know because often success in darts can come later in life um it's not you know so there are some younger players that are very successful but it's not a a a sport that relies on peak physical fitness and it is sometimes uh laughed at indeed for that reason but um (laughs) um but it does take extraordinary skill but it is something you can be playing in your 50s there are players who you know were working 
you know, Rob Cross, who uh, was uh, world champion a few years ago, was an electrician. He'd watched he'd watched the previous final at home, you know, uh, working as an electrician. And the next year, he found himself in in the final as, as of the world darts championship. I mean, I think it is a sport that that where the ordinary and the extraordinary sit so closely together. And I think that is really magic. I'm always incredibly just blown away by the math skill. Mm. of being able to work out what you need to be hitting on the board to get the scores yeah. that you need. I, there's no way that my brain can compute that quick enough. No, exactly. And I <laughs> and I had to uh, abandon a little dream because I'm I'm hopeless at darts. You know, that's why I made a theatre show about it. I was going to ask, do you play? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I do enjoy a game, you know, and we've played a lot in rehearsals, but I am dreadful. Um, I'm never going to be very good at darts. Um, but I did think, oh, maybe I could be a caller. There's a brilliant caller, Ross Bray, who, you know, just sounds like he must have smoked every waking moment of his life. You know, he's got a brilliantly kind of rich, gravelly voice. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe that could be my thing. You know, I could be a caller, but I am not, I'm nowhere near quick enough um, with the with the maths. And a lot of it's memory. I mean, a lot of the getting the, the trebles and so forth, you learn yeah. that, but it's, yeah. the, it's the quick sub- subtraction that I suffer with. <laughs> I couldn't do it, definitely not. No, I've no. got a few friends who like to play darts, but... Um, mm. I'm just useless, useless at it. <laughs> <laughs> Always worried I'm going to hit somebody with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what else makes you happy then, Annie? You've sort of talked about your theatre work, your children, red hair, darts. <laughs> anything else to add to the uh, the mix? I think cooking is something that makes me really happy and eating. And, I mean, just everything around food. I think that's... Uh, that's something that's been really important in my family. My dad's an incredible cook um, and he comes from a family where food is really, it, it's like, it's how love is expressed. So I'm named after two Annies. On my mum's side, I was named after her granny, who was called Annie, who hated her her son-in-law so much that she vowed to outlive him and she did that. So that's quite a strong Annie to be named after. But the Annie yeah. I'm named a- <laughs> yeah, the Annie I'm named after on my dad's side, which is my dad's granny, who I, um, I think maybe I did meet her when I was very little, but you know, so little that I don't, I don't remember her. But she was also known as the Queen of Five Puddings because if there was okay. a family meal, I like the sound would, of this granny. Yeah, there would always be five puddings after a, after a family meal. And my cousin Emily has sometimes vied for the title of Queen of Five Puddings. And my cousin Emily is also a brilliant cook um, and is very good at puddings, actually. But she forgot that, that if you make the five puddings, you also have to make a sixth pudding, which is a rice pudding with no sugar for Popper, who is my great grandfather, who believed that he was diabetic until about the age of 92 when he discovered he wasn't diabetic, actually. But because she'd forget, forgotten to make the sugarless rice pudding, she, she didn't get the title. So, you know, <laughs> food's just food's just kind of part of our... Uh, way of being together we're quite spread out uh, as a family my um, uh, dad's family are like largely down in Essex uh, a little bit in Kent um, uh, and when, so when we get together it's always about having a big you know that sense of uh, really enjoying cooking together and really yeah. enjoying eating together yeah. and there's certain recipes particularly the recipes of my granny who you know died when you know quite a long time ago now but my dad's been really keen especially now my kids are on the scene and my brother's daughter is on the scene to recreate yum yums which are not like a greg's yum yum but is a chocolate biscuit with cornflakes in it so my Mm. dad's worked very hard on that cheese straws she made very good cheese straws so kind of and she never really wrote down recipes so he's done a lot of work to kind of try and 
get it how how we remember and everyone's always like oh it's not quite this or it's not quite that you know it's always the search ah. you know um <laughs> the mythology and the search um but I love is that cooking. just a ploy to get him to make it again and again and th- again? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and also, everyone knows that there was never one way that it was. You know, it, it changed all the time. But it's, <laughs> you know, I, I and I love cooking for people. You know, I love having people around. I love hosting. Um, and not in a kind of, I've never been a kind of fancy cook. You know, I'm not good at delicate things that are very beautiful. But I'm good at like a big plate of curry or, you know, a big bowl of soup or some cake that's falling apart a bit but tastes good you know (laughs) but I just yeah I just think eating together is really important and uh, and eating good food is really important you know um and I don't mean good food as in healthy food although I you know obviously that's all good and that um but I always yeah 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 yeah. but I also also I always think about food that's good for the soul and I think some you know my dad's food tastes so good because it has a ridiculous amount of butter and cream in it but it's probably a lot healthier than, I mean, healthier is maybe not the right word exactly, but I think there's a lot of kind of junk food that's very high in sugar, high in salt, and it's not good for your soul. I mean, it gives you a quick fix. Our bodies love it, of course, you know, um, but there's something about kind of home cooked, a big apple crumble, or, you know, if somebody's baked you a cake or if somebody's made you, you know, your favorite comfort food, like a shepherd's pie or, you know, something like that. Um, food that's good for your soul I think is mm. yeah that makes me really happy I do enjoy baking but mm. yeah exactly that I, I know that an entire packet of butter has gone into those biscuits <laughs> and yeah half a packet of sugar but hey you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels but, good it tastes good yeah and, and I, I ha- I've got a friend who wants to talk to me about it you know it counting um, it's Karina Rodney who's the writer we, we worked with as a writer on a few projects but she I remember her talking once about, you know, if you're going to eat a cake, make it count. You know, don't eat a don't eat a crap cake. That's a that's a waste of you know the moment you could have had. And I've always thought that's a real that's real food wisdom. <laughs> I think I was talking about that with I think uh, my husband, uh, yeah, earlier <laughs> on about biscuits. Like mm. I wouldn't sit and eat a packet of custard creams. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's a waste of calories. If I'm going to mm. have a biscuit, have mm. a proper biscuit. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally Smash agree. some of yours that you've made with a whole pack of butter. <laughs> <laughs> they sound great. <laughs> I've got a little Chewbacca Wookie cutter. It's my Wookie oh, cutter. Very oh, nice. I'll have to show you pictures. So so <laughs> lovely. So, what do you think a person needs to do to be happy? Oh, what's the person need to do to be happy? I mean, I think part of it is circumstance. You know, I think uh, you people can it can be hard to find happiness if you're in a in a in a tough place um but I think noticing the things that make you happy and trying to make more space for them in your life you know I think um I think capitalism (laughs) sells us a version of what life should look like and it's kind of work as hard as you can make as much money as you can spend it on this stuff like a shiny car or some expensive clothes or some expensive hand cream and then actually you're going to need to keep working even harder to pay your credit card bill and and I sometimes think it sells us a, a version of what life looks like that isn't very rewarding and I think that's what's been really interesting about being in lockdown is we've, we haven't had access to a lot of those things and 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 I think noticing that you really enjoy cooking noticing that you really enjoy a walk rather than driving somewhere noticing 
how you feel after you've had a good laugh with a friend on the phone. You know, I think, um, or, or being in a, you know, like I was talking before about playing music, you know, being in a band, being silly, you know, it's ridiculous to be in a band. No matter how good you are, it's ridiculous. Um, and sometimes you can tell yourself, oh, I, sh- I haven't really got time for that. I've got to do all the other stuff and I haven't got time for my hobby or making that space for myself. But actually, I think, you know, I, the thing that inspired me to make putting the band back together was uh, a friend of mine, really, really good friend of mine, Mark Lloyd, at the end of his life, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And his wife said to him, what is it you want to do before you die? And the first thing that came into his head was um, that he wanted to put his old bands back together, which is mm. what, that when that was the story we told him in putting the band back together. But there was something so um, important to me in, in, in the perspective he had of realising his time was really finite. And of course, all of us are here for a limited amount of time. But in that moment of being really aware of it, the thing that really mattered to him was exactly the thing that most of us press to the edges of our life and say, oh, well, I haven't got time for that because I've got to work this many hours and then I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And I'm kind of trapped in this, this you know, often quite, you know, yeah, whether rat racy type, um, you know, normal life cycle where, where all the fun stuff gets just squeezed out. And I, and I, it was a real wake up call for me. And I think, and I think lockdown has been a real wake up call for a lot of people. But so that I think to be happy, it's really noticing the things that make you happy and in a really deep way, you know, um, that make you laugh and make you feel good and then making space for them and not being, yeah. not, not always putting them on the end of the list. Yeah. And not feeling guilty about it either, thinking I should have yeah. been doing something else. Um, or yeah, as you say, it's not as important. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I totally. think that's really. I, I do think it's really hard, you know. I think, and I think particularly for women, I think there is a, a lot of guilt around. Even you know, if you've got a partner who's brilliant at sharing the housework and the childcare and all of that kind of stuff, I think women still carry more guilt about making space for themselves. And I think it's really important to just have a word with that guilt and kind of say, "I can hear you. I can hear you. I can hear you're trying to make me feel guilty, and I'm just, I'm just not doing that right now. I'm gonna, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm terrible at it, but I, I, I think it's something I want to get better at because you know, yeah, I do. You don't want to miss your own life. What I you know? preach, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And I need to, exactly. I need to pay. You know, actually listen to what I tell other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. We've talked a lot about your theatre work um, mm. and we're kind of asking everyone that we're interviewing, you know, um, what are your kind of tips, advice for people who maybe want to um, get into something, whether it's theatre mm. or outdoor swimming or you mm. know, starting a band. So what are your kind of tips, advice for somebody who, I mean, I know right now it's a very challenging time for theatre yeah. and, and a lot of the cultural sector performing arts, mm. but what would you say to somebody who wanted to get into theatre? Uh, well, I, I would say, you know, everyone always says do it, you know, just do it. You know, I think the great thing about the theatre community in the northeast, um, and I think it's true of the wider arts community, is that people are generally pretty open and pretty generous, and it's not. It doesn't feel like people are kind of pushing each other out the way or elbowing somebody else out to try and squeeze in. You know, people are, are really excited if anybody, if somebody new pops up and says, "Hey, I, I'm interested in this. Can I get involved? Can I help out? Can I learn about? You know, um, can I show you this?" You know, I do think it's a um, 
a really welcoming community and I think that's something really special so I would definitely say don't feel like there's some kind of mystical snooty uh uh vibe up here you know and I'm not saying it's not without its issues of course we whinge like anybody else but you know <laughs> co- come and get involved but also I would um one very very specific tool that um when I was thinking of setting up my company I had a brilliant mentor at the time a guy called Phelan McDermott who runs a company called Improbable and and I was saying to I was saying to him I feel like I'm really worried that because I am rubbish uh, I didn't use that word but you know I'm, I'm keeping it um, <laughs> keeping it clean because I am rubbish the entire company will be rubbish so he taught me this little trick which he'd got from some self-help self-help book which is that what you do is you you turn that around into a positive statement. So rather than if I, um, you know, because I'm rubbish, everything I do with this company will be rubbish, to think, if I knew that I was brilliant, so I started off by reversing it by saying, if I knew I was not rubbish, and he was like, that's not the opposite of rubbish. So I was like, okay, (laughs) if I knew I was brilliant, what would I do differently now? And it's all about really giving space to identifying what 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 the self-help book called your limiting beliefs so my limiting belief was that I was rubbish that was and that was Mm. the thing that was stopping me naming the company registering it with company's house you know writing my first pitches or 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 grant applications or you know get inviting artists to work with me because I was all you know I I had this deep-seated sense of you know like many people do like I'm not I'm not good enough Mm. but it's a really neat little trick for going well Okay, if that is yeah, okay, I, I hear that that limiting belief. But if I thought the opposite, if I thought I was brilliant, what would I do differently now? And he just kept asking me that question over and over again, and loads of things came out. And some of them were really emotional. I remember crying uh, at part of that uh, conversation. But some of them were really practical. And I said, well, if I knew I was brilliant, well, I would just start telling people about the company because it would be really <laughs> exciting, and I, people would be excited about it. And I would, you know, write a pitch to, you know, develop some work with, you know, I would write to this company and, and ask if I could have a cup of coffee and tell them about the company. So I kind of ended up with a to-do list, um, which is how I started. So I think that's, you know, underneath the just do it, have, you know, identify the things that are stopping you just doing it and, and try and, whether it's that little tool or another way, work work your way through them you know because we all have our fears we all have our reasons why we think we're not good enough or or, or we couldn't possibly do something whether it's jump in the sea or you know learn to you know run the great north run or you know ride a bike or whatever i was listening to some of your other uh contributors who've who've done podcasts with you i'm a terrible cyclist so yeah people who are ambitious on bikes Yeah. yeah it has been one of the hardest steepest learning curves of my life setting up my own company yeah. I think um uh it's had some really really challenging times in it but yeah it's been rewarding in inc- in in a really really deep way so is there anything um you want to give a shout out at the end of the the podcast anything oh. that you're working on um you know where can people find out more about you is there anything you want to yeah, well, you can Mention. follow us on social media. So we're at Unfolding Theatre with no E on Twitter, though, right at the end, because you run out of characters. I was going to say you um, run out of characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfolding Theatre uh, on Twitter. And yeah, you can look on our website, uh, which, uh, which is unfoldingtheatre.co.uk. But we've been doing some really beautiful projects recently. Um, we've been really busy. We've been doing doorstep 
story times with families in Biker and Walker. Uh, we're making an uh, online piece called Multiverse Lab, uh, which is all about asking people what's the, 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 the change they hope to see in their lifetime around health and health research. That's been commissioned by Newcastle University and the biomedical research teams there. And that's been really special. Um, the NIHR, you always have to remember your commissioners, various acronyms <laughs> always, and uh, abbreviations. Um, <laughs> but also we're going back. I mean, you know, I'm, I say this, you know, something to look out for. I don't know what it's going to be called, but we're going back to that community in Sunderland that we made putting the band back together with and, and hoping to make a new show with them. Um, we're really um, we're working with Ross Millard again and Alison Carr, the, the writer. But we don't know what it'll be because the world has turned on its head. Um, and we're really hoping we made a show last year called Hold On, Let Go, which we're really hoping to bring back to the northeast. But of course, we're just waiting to see how theatres are, uh, are getting on and when they're going to be able to open. So do have a look on our web website. Um, we bake bread. The performer, Alex Elliott, along with Luca Rutherford, Alex bakes bread for the audience in the course of the show and uh, offers it to them at the end. So it's oh, um, man, you've got me. When sign me food up? Food theatre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we did it in Edinburgh Festival last year. Uh, and we've performed it in London as well at Battersea Arts Centre, and it f- and it feels really strange to me that it hasn't been on in in the northeast yet. So I'm desperate for that to to come soon. But hopefully, hopefully as lockdown eases, we'll be we'll be back on with that. Fab. That sounds great, Annie. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been good. It's been great chatting. Thank you. So that was my chat with Annie, uh, a wonderful person to talk to. What did people think? What a great chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's not enough chuckling in the world. Annie's got a great chuckle. I I think she'd appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm also very interested to meet somebody that described themselves as an accordion playing hippie. That's... (laughs) That was... yeah, I, I need I need to know what that looks like and sounds like. <laughs> it's a it's a great description. But, oh, but there was there was so much there was so much to like about Annie's uh, mm. Annie's conversation. I've got a huge list of things written down here that go for it. I love a list. You know, I yeah, love yeah. a list. <laughs> well, I'll pick a couple. Um, but nice neighbours. Yeah, you sometimes forget these days. You know, when you get a nice set of neighbours around you. It's dead good. It's really good. We're actually losing some of ours. They're they're moving away to another part of Newcastle, which is a real shame. We've 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 got through about three sets of neighbours since we moved uh, in. So is I that saying it, something? It must be us. It must be us. <laughs> um, but uh, just looking forward to the next lot. Because um, some some of uh, some of our closest friends are neighbours of the past. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, it's it's amazing when I look back and think how random it is who mm. you end up living next door to. Mm. And I would say at least three families are almost family themselves in, in our world. Yeah, wow. incredible. Well, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing was her, her talking about soul food, you know, talking about the food that makes the family and the way she was describing it and just, oh, yeah. Talked about rice pudding at one point as well, which I think is... That has to be the, the ultimate comfort food for me. Um, so, yeah, I just, I love that. That was very good. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. I thought there was, there was so much in it. She, I became really quite philosophical 
after the first minute or two. Um, but she she was answering the questions that we wanted to ask before you even asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, she's, she's such a, a rounded, empathetic person who was very modest. And, and I, it struck me when she was talking about her work and about the children and, and other things that particularly when she was talking about the Oosburn, when she was back at the Oosburn and mm. the, the architect's practice had invited her to be part of their building. Uh, mm -hmm. And she was really pleased about that. And I, I thought, you, you don't know how well thought of you are mm. <laughs> because it, it just shone out of her and uh, it was hugely impressive. Hugely, yeah. Thanks, Kath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was at that point, it was just saying about how the the art world divides itself up in funny ways as well, wasn't mm. she? And it's really true. We forget that we're a lot of our aims are, are the same. We're just arriving at them by different means, really. And yeah, and that the people who seem to survive and to, and thrive in the arts are the ones who are aware of that. I think as well that that work with that. Yeah, but um. I'd also really like to hear Annie as a darts caller. Yeah. I wonder if we could make that happen. <laughs> I think she'd be a brilliant darts caller. I don't yeah. think she should uh, yeah. shy away from that. Embrace it. Do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's make that happen. <laughs> we were talking, I think before we started recording, we were talking about little sound bites. And there, there was one that, that she, she made it a comment that she was reflecting on small moments and adventures what created happiness for her and I just thought that's <laughs> yeah I could do that it was wonderful yeah uh, I think the, my thing was just a small area of dispute with you Alex actually I, I think I feel the need to stand up for custard creams oh no no yeah, man come on no it's all this stuff about wasted, wasted opportunities, wasted calories. Wasted cal you cream. waste calories on custom yeah. creams. I'm sorry. <laughs> for real? <laughs> Give me a jam. What next? Jaffa cakes? Jammy oh no, I love Jaffa cakes. I can eat an entire packet of Jaffa cakes in one sitting. Oh, yeah. Dangerous, dangerous things. Dom, um, <laughs> no. Dom's the shaking the his Dom is shaking his head. That's <laughs> like the that's like the worst biscuit, not the best. Yeah. It's not a biscuit. Yeah. No, give me a give me a Viscount any day because I'm geet posh. <laughs> <laughs> do we do we need a poll? Maybe we need a poll on social media. I think it's time. Yeah. Yes. The best biscuits. Let's do it. This, which which this, biscuit this brings you happiness? Pandora's box. <laughs> I'll get. Got, once this is open, you cannot get it closed. <laughs> Well, there's a philosophical debate there, isn't there, about whether biscuits give you happiness or make you extremely unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> you're totally happy when you eat them, and then afterwards, when you're looking at the empty packet, you think, hmm, maybe not. Right, I'll, I'll get Emma onto that poll then for uh, social media. <laughs> Do it. Well, thank you so much. Any Anything else to add? So is that, uh, I think... I'd like to meet her. I mean, it was... Uh, She's the type of person, I think. Uh, yes, and we could we could ask all those questions about darts calling and uh, <laughs> rice pudding. And <laughs> I'm sure yeah. we can sort that out. <laughs> I'd like to meet everybody, actually. Mm, yeah. All yeah. these people we can listen to. You know, if, if we get some opportunity in the future, once once <laughs> once everything's back to normal, mm -hmm. um, we could sort of have a have a Geordie guide 
reunion or a union, oh, I guess, since nobody's actually met yet. Yeah. yeah. It'd be the happiest event ever. Can you imagine? <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much, Annie, for your time. That was that was fab. Um, if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories, opinions and what happiness means to you. So please do get in touch. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Guide, or on Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. As always, I'd like to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. Next week, we have Claire Matthews, who took part in one of our happiness workshops with Chili Studios. Chili Studios is a charity which supports those who may have experienced social exclusion. I really enjoyed chatting to Claire in what is a very honest and inspiring conversation. So you'll hear me ask Claire questions like this. So do you have a preferred, um, you know, do do you have favourite places that you like to go and visit when when you go walking? Or do you just step out the door and see where you end up? And hear Claire give answers like this. My, my favourite places to go and my, and my frustration is there's so many places in the area that I'd love to get to on the bus and I'm not going on the bus at the moment really there's, it's tempting to get frustrated, it's tempting to get jealous when I see all the pictures on Facebook of I've gone out into the wilds, I've gone to the sea I've been sitting on Hadrian's Wall but I know I shouldn't do that because I'm really fortunate with what I've got living in Biker because I can walk one day through the city centre and hit the parks and the moor. I could walk another way and I'm down by the River Tyne and there's miles of Riverside Park. I could walk another way and I've got the whole of Jesmond Dean. So any combination of round trips makes... It's it's made the last 20 weeks a, a lot more bearable and a lot more yeah, happiness-inducing. So we've reached the end of yet another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you again for another episode.